0: Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. Last week, we talked about the calling of Matthew, tax collector, who Jesus comes to the tax booth and says to Matthew, two words, follow me. Matthew turns away from his livelihood, um, job security, and turns to follow Jesus. Uh, we talked about how Matthew throws this banquet with Jesus as the guest of honor. And while they're there, this this big feast of tax collectors and sinners, it draws the attention of the religious police, the Pharisees, those who want to make sure that everybody's following the moral code, no, no deviating off the path, get back on point. If you need an example, follow me, because I know what I'm doing. Follow me. That's not the case here. Don't do that with me. That's there are people who you don't do it with me. So they they are that group of people. And so what they do is they step into this banquet on the outskirts and, and they and they speak to the disciples, to the people who are there with Jesus. And no. That's everybody's reaction to Pharisees when Pharisees show up. So, they step, they step to and they speak to the disciples of Jesus. Here's what's interesting. They don't say, what about Jesus? They want to know about the disciples. Why, 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 why are you dining with tax collectors and sinners? And then Jesus gives the famous, the famous answer that we love so much. It is not the healthy that need the doctor, it is the sick. For I did not come for the righteous, but for sinners. That should have connected so many dots for them, but it didn't. Now, here's the (laughs) poor girl. She want to come up here. I'm a baby whisperer from way back. All right. So, uh, it draws all this attention. So remember what we have in this room: Jesus, his disciples, tax collectors, sinners. Now, Pharisees, all in this one place. Now, to, just to add just a little bit more chaos, the man who prophesied, who continued to prophesy in Jesus' day that Jesus was coming, the man who baptized Jesus, John the Baptist, he's in prison. And in his absence, his followers have kind of trailed in behind Jesus. So, John's disciples are there as well, Okay? Tax collectors, sinners, Jesus, his disciples, John's disciples, Pharisees, all in one place. John's disciples have a different question. The Pharisees ask, why are you eating with them? John's disciples say this, why are you eating at all? Why? Don't you know what today is? Why are you fasting like we fast? John's disciples. And why aren't you fasting like the Pharisees' disciples? I mean, like the Pharisees. what? You're not doing any fasting. Why are you not fasting? Now see, this idea of fasting came from the Old Testament. In uh, Leviticus, I think, chapter 16. And it was for, if you're Jewish, Yom, Yom Kippur, okay? And it was the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement, you know what you do? You fast. Literally means deprive yourself of nourishment. Conflict your soul or afflict your soul. And the idea is this, reach out to God, not just with your heart, not with just your actions, but with your hunger as well. Make sacrifice from here as well, and reach out to God, and He will forgive your sins. And this was what it was about, the Day of Atonement. But see, these guys, they did something different. They're trying to score extra points. Do you remember that kid in class? Is there extra credit? (laughs) Shut up. You know what I mean? You little goody, what? I'm struggling to keep a seat. You know? This kid's looking for extra credit. The and there's this group, the extra credit group, over there raising their hands. I finished all my work for the whole semester on the second day of school. Oh well, good for you. They want extra credit. So this fasting thing became their way of living. Pharisees would fast on Mondays and Thursdays. John's disciples, they didn't want to be like the Pharisees. Pharisees are bad. We're gonna fast on Tuesdays and Fridays. As if somehow that's different. But this is what happened. I don't know There was Tuesdays and Fridays. Pharisees did Mondays, Thursdays. John's disciples picked a different day because they didn't want to be like him. It. It's the same thing, right? Why are, you, why are you eating at all? Not just with sinners tax, tax collectors with sinners. Why are you eating at all? Shouldn't your disciples be fasting? Like we fast and the Pharisees fast? <coughs> Jesus answers this question with the strangest triplet answer. The strangest triplet answer. Here's the question. Why don't your disciples fast? (laughs) Jesus answered. Well, there's no sense in crying while the groom's with you. I mean, at some point, he's going to leave. Then you can fast. Clear, right? What are you talking? What are you talking about? This is, this is so smart. Jesus is a genius. You've, I'll go over this a million times. Jesus is a genius. What he said was so powerful, but if you are like us or like them, like you just let this thing breeze right by. The Old Testament idea of who God was was this picture that he's the husband and Israel is the bride. And now Jesus starts talking about a wedding. It's kind of like if there's a wedding... You don't moan and groan while the groom is with you. You cry when he's gone. You see, fasting had more to do with sadness, a repentant heart. You wore sackcloth and ashes, you ripped your clothes, you put dirt on your head. This is what you did. Why? Because you're trying to prove to God, trying to show God, I'm humbling myself. I'm going without food, I'm humbling myself. This idea of fasting in the Day of Atonement also brought about another thought. Forgiveness of sins and hoping that maybe we could leverage God a little bit with our fasting, that we could bring the Messiah in a little bit sooner. We need the Messiah to show up a little bit sooner. Here's why. Here's the idea, the Jewish idea of the Messiah. Jewish idea of the Messiah was this. Wait till my big brother gets here. He'll deal with you. That was the thought. So, while Israel's getting pummeled by everybody else, they're, 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 they're walking back home with their black eye, and they're like, you just wait till my brother shows up. you have been changing your attitude then, you know. This is, who, this is what they thought of. When the Messiah gets here, he's going to get you. You just wait. But they didn't know that when the Messiah came here, he was also going to be the Messiah. And the one who forgives sins. There was this kind of just this strange thing. And now here he is right in front of them. See, in their mind, this guy was political. He was military. He was going to show up, kick down the door at Rome, and be like, guess who's here, you know? Like this is the way it was going to work. He's going to take over Rome. He's going to show up. He's going to liberate all of Israel. This is going to be like um, like we're going to be on top again. But you know what you don't expect? You don't expect him to come in and be spending time with the broken down. It's not what you expect. You see, there's levels of pain and there's levels of hurt and there's levels of imprisonment. There's levels of enslavement, right? So let me give it to you. You can avoid paying your taxes if you want to. It's not a good idea. It's not a good idea. It's against the law. It's not a good idea. But you can avoid it if you want to. If you wanted to be kind of in a general sense, you could say we are enslaved somewhat to our government because we have to do this thing. You don't really get an option. It's just put on you. You do it. Now, do we reap some benefits? Sure. I don't want to argue about it. Don't talk to me about it. My thoughts are this though we are somewhat enslaved. Israel lived underneath this idea that since Rome had moved in and were over the top of them, that they were the enslaved ones. But that's not really enslavement, enslavement in the worst sense, is it? Because there is greater hurts than having to pay taxes, correct? There are heavier burdens than just having to pay taxes. There are things that move into your life and affect your family on a personal level. That's worse than taxes. There are levels of pain, there are health things that come into your life and those are worse than taxes. And so what they expected was this military leader, this political leader who was going to come in and be like, these taxes are outrageous, I'm setting the people free. All the while, there's all these hurting people who are like, look, we don't even have anything you can tax. So when Jesus, when Jesus shows up, he doesn't look like he's supposed to look. Can I just say this, just as just a word of application. Be very, very careful that you don't miss him. Be very, very careful that you don't miss him. When he speaks to you, be very, very careful. Make sure you're listening. Make sure you're trying to hear. Be still and know that I am God, says Psalms. It requires an attentive ear. We could miss him, we could overlook him. And here's this room full of people, and none of them know that he is them. Jesus' answer is this there's going to be a wedding someday. There's going to be a wedding someday. I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna be gone. It will be a devastating and sad, sad world for a while. In that moment, then you should fast. But while I'm here, now, you wanna walk around and moan and be sad? Okay, let me, give you bit, let me give you a better illustration. I get to do a lot of weddings. There's something that always happens. These meetings begin months before the wedding day. We get together for premarital counseling. We plan out the wedding. Um, We put all this stuff together. I'm kind of like, is it Jennifer Lopez? I'm kind of like the wedding planner. So I put together these things. We suddenly talk about stuff and what it's going to look like and how it's going to be. And I don't oftentimes meet a lot of the family that surround these couples. I don't get to meet them. And they are dreaming. These couples are (laughs) dreaming. Oh, he's the greatest guy I've ever met in my entire... Dream me. It's going to be the most perfect life in the whole wide world. Oh, and I'm thinking to myself, like, I've been married 16 years, and I've I married a great gal. This is going to hurt when it happens. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is going to hurt. Why? Because you're just like, we should play on the train tracks. It's the same conversation. <laughs> we should put on earmuffs and play on the train tracks. Why? <clears throat> you know, like, it's it. I guess what I think to myself, like this is marriage. It sometimes hurts, you know. I mean, when you see the things, ding, 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 ding. Don't cross, you know. And, no. And I'm thinking to myself, this is this is okay, fine, it's good. So we talk. We get to talk and we get to visit about all these things. And then, then, then on wedding rehearsal evening, typically the day before the wedding, other people show up. They call them the family. These are mother-in-laws, future mother-in-laws, future father-in-laws. These are brothers, cousins, dads, stepdads, stepmoms. And they all move into one room. And they've never been in one room together, never in their whole entire existence. Never have all of them been in one place. What a joyous, joyous time it is. They walk in and instantly, like you see switchblades, people got shivs like down. They're like, I'm going to get him. I'm going to shank him in a minute. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get him when he goes to the bathroom, you know. Like, he, you can see it. Like, there's a guy over on this side. He's glaring at a woman across the way. There's His buddies are looking at the groom, and he's like, dude, I'll leave the car running. All you got to do is say, like, I'll drive. Like, I'll drive. I'm the only one with the license. Dude, I will drive. You know? And then you see, then you see these moms, and the moms are just crying. Like the, like the mom of the, of the groom, just, just crying her eyes out. Why is she so sad? Because he's leaving me for another woman. You know, this thing the weirdest thing. Then there's this dad and he's walking her down the aisle the whole way. He's looking at it. He's like, are you sure this is the one? I mean, look at him. No, really look at him. Like look at it. There's always a bridesmaid who's over on this side and she's either jealous. You can tell the look on her face. She's either really jealous or she's convinced like this moron is not the one for her. You know, everything changes. Why do they do that? Why do they act like that when they come into this joyous occasion? And instantly what happens is the bride and the groom get weird, way weird. Like she starts stressing out. She doesn't know what she wants to do. She's like, I don't, I want the candles to come in first. I don't, I'll be in the bathroom. And you're just like, sweet, sweet action. For months, this was beautiful. And then when the family shows up, oh my goodness, it's a nightmare. Why? Because everything changed. They're here. They're together. You know when they should do all that and have all those feelings? When they leave. When the party is over. When the rehearsal is done. The wedding is done. The reception is done. Now you can go be sad. Away from me, please. You know, this. this now you can be sad. Here's why. Because the next time the bride gets a flat tire, she's not calling daddy. The next time the boy has a bad day at work, he's not calling mommy. Next time the guys want to go out, throw back a few, they got to go through the gatekeeper. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to look to see who said that. Just schedule an appointment. You can talk about out. When the girls want to get together and eat bonbons and watch a Nicholas Sparks movie, they want to be depressed and talk about their boyfriend. They can't call her. She's living the life. Everything changed. Jesus is looking at them and saying, something's about to happen. Everything's about to change. You see, here's what you don't realize is the party is now, the wedding is now, the groom is here. I'm just waiting on my bride but she doesn't even see me. It's not just about fasting. It's about something bigger than fasting. Fasting just this little piece of the old religion, little piece of the old life, little piece of trying to get God's attention. But we've moved it over into something else. Jesus steps in and says, it's bigger than fasting. It's bigger than that. Next answer. Well, if that doesn't explain it well, maybe this will explain it. <laughs> why do your disciples not fast? Because who takes a good garment, cuts a piece out of it, sews it on an old one? Duh. <laughs> do you ever get the impression like Jesus is on a completely different like wavelength than everyone than everyone else? And then he explains. Here's why. Like the the rigidity of this new fabric, you sew to this on this old garment on your favorite old coat, and you try to patch it. You know what's going to happen? It's not as pliable as the old garment. This is stiff, violently stiff. It's just going to pull. It's going to tear away. It's going to make even another division or a worse rip. Why in the world would you want to do that? Well, I'm afraid I don't know what you're talking about. Jesus, what do you, what do you, what do you mean? Jesus takes us to another level. Jesus goes from the surface down to the next level. Here's what I'm saying. You want to know why my religion doesn't match up with yours. What I'm wanting to know is this. Why do you still have your old religion? Why are you still trying to wear that old coat? Why do you keep fasting? Why are you doing a thing that's got nothing to do with this? Jesus' words are this. I didn't come to revise your religion. This is a brand new deal. I didn't come to patch up your broken religion. It's wore out. It's broke down. And I ain't putting it on. If I were you, I wouldn't try to sew a patch on that old thing you're trying to wear. Now, here's why it's doubly stupid. You like that? Doubly stupid. Who cut up a really good thing to patch a really old thing? (coughs) Good point. Why? But uh, how much do you like this old thing that you'll ruin a brand new thing to make this? How much do we like our old life that we like, you know, I do like that one thing Jesus says about saving my sins. You will save me from my sins. I like that part. You know what I don't like? Fidelity. <coughs> Doesn't work that way. It's not an all a cart. It's an all or nothing. And Jesus is looking at them and saying, fasting? Why don't we go down to the deep end of the pool and talk about it for a minute? We'll tread water. And we'll talk about how absolutely deep this is going to go. Then Jesus cuts to the third level. takes new wine and puts it in old wineskins. If they do, you know what happens? Everybody knows, right? Everybody knows. The fermentation process produces gases, and in the old wineskins, they've already been stretched as far as they're going to stretch. Then all of a sudden, they start stretching some more. You know what happens? You blow out a perfectly good wineskin, and you lose all your wine. Dumb. Nah, 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 nah. Use something that's got some elasticity to it. Get some new skins, some new wine skins, and you put new wine in there. It's ready to stretch, it's ready to move, it's ready to bloat. That's what you want. And that's why you don't fast, like everybody else, fast. Now let's look at it. The law didn't stretch. The Old Testament law didn't stretch. There wasn't any grace. In the old law. The old law was this. Do what God said, or maybe the ground will eat you. (laughs) Do what God said, or else you might get locusts at your house. Do what God said, He'll take your firstborn. There's no grace. There's no elasticity in the law. And Jesus moves in and He says, this new wine that I'm pouring out right here, it ain't going to go in them bottles. It ain't going to go in them souls of yours. You are not ready for what this is about to do. This is not the same thing as what you used to. This is a new wine. You're going to need a new skin. Here's what else I love about that. This suggests that there is an absolute transformation that has to happen. A transformation that has to happen for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to move into our life for the power of the gospel to be present in our life something new has got to change with us we can't walk out into it and say this is my old life I'd like to put some Jesus into it it's going to blow you up won't work you know what else I like about this this is a forward looking picture of the cross do you know where you get new wine skins do you know what you have to do to get a new wine skin something has to die something has to die. Wine skins are made of sheep or goat. Something has got to lose its life so the new wine can come in. You mean to tell me that's not a picture of something greater and deeper and bigger that Jesus is pointing to? And he says all of this right in front of him. People who know this stuff. And they're just like, right, uh, I don't know. Here's what I love about God. He brings about confirmation. He'll say something to you. He'll show you something, lead you in a direction. And you'll be like, is that God? And then there'll be like another thing that happens and you're like, that's exactly what I'm supposed to do. Okay, perfect. Here's what's beautiful. Now remember the room. Remember who's in it. Pharisees, Jesus, tax collectors, sinners, John's disciples. They're all right there. And then a synagogue ruler runs right into the party. A synagogue ruler. You don't find... Let me just say this. You know what you see when Jesus shows up in a place? Diversity. You see young, you see old. You see traditional, you see those who have let loose a little. You see the shirt and tie, and you see the holes in the jeans. You see dudes with ear piercings and tattoos everywhere, and you see these other men who are just distinguished and buttoned down. And you, that's the kind of diversity that you get when Jesus shows up. You see men, women, boys, children, young, old, black, white, rich, poor. This is what you see. If ever our congregation begins to look all the same, we've screwed it up. Oh, we're all recovering drug addicts. We're all doctors. We're all factory workers. Doesn't work. Anywhere Jesus goes, he shows up in it's diversity. Do you know why? Look at the world. Every single thing that's happening in the world right now that is a problem, it's always those people pointing to their cause, and they're the only ones who can stand for that cause. The church is supposed to look completely different. So let me get this right. There's Gentiles in there with those people? Yes. Oh. So this guy used to be like a, like a priest? Yeah, then he became a Christian. Oh, okay. So you guys look like blacks and whites and... Yeah. Rich and poor? Yes. That's the difference that Jesus makes when he shows up. So in comes the synagogue ruler. God is giving some confirmation. The actions are going to happen. Jesus taught. He said it. Now he's going to prove it. Synagogue ruler. Now listen, that should cause us to jump back a little bit. Why? Synagogue ruler? You know what this guy does for a living? He teaches the Torah. He knows this stuff inside now. If he needs anything from anybody, he probably shouldn't be going to Jesus. You know why? Because he's probably going to get fired. That's my guess. You're going to go to the guy who says he's the Messiah and you've been teaching this and he can't go down there and say this is the Messiah. But when the rubber hit the road and it's his own little girl, that's where he goes. He bursts into the party, tears streaming down his face. His voice is cracking. It says that he kneels before Jesus, synagogue, ruler, kneeling before Jesus. He says, Lord, my daughter just died. But if you will come and touch her, she'll get her life back. And it says Jesus got up and went with him. On his way out the door, the crowds are surrounding Jesus. From behind, a woman comes up and she reaches and she touches the tassel that hung down off the back of Jesus' robe, And she touches it because she thought to herself, if I could touch it, I could be well. See, she had been dealing with this issue of blood, this issue of blood for 12 years. The book of Mark says it this way. She had spent all her money to get well on doctors and had only gotten worse for 12 years. But she thought to herself, if I could just touch him, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, then I'd be well. You know what you don't see happen? If I'm the guy whose daughter just died and I'm trying to get Jesus over there, and then this lady interrupts the whole situation, she's going to get it off the turnbuckle. She's going to have a different issue because we're trying to get her to Jesus. But you don't see that. He says, someone touched me. He turns around and he looks at her and he says, my daughter, you are healed. And he goes on. No big scene. Just him and her in this crowd. Nobody knows. He gets to the house and he walks in. And the death process and the burial process for the Jews, like this was kind of a big thing. When somebody dies, you call in mourners. You call in flute players. You call in these people who weep and mourn and cry. And this is what they do. They knew the death process. They knew when somebody was dead. This was the thing that they just knew. They understood this. It's not really a hard thing to tell, really, if someone's alive or not. And Jesus shows up and He says, Hey, 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 keep it. T- hey, stop with the horns and the nonsense and the weeping and the screaming weirdos. Hey, stop. She's not dead. She's asleep. They turn and they laugh at Jesus in his face. Asleep? We're pretty sure we know when someone's dead. It's like a thousand degrees outside. We only got a little bit of time to get her in the ground. The body's cold. Like she's she's dead. And Jesus runs them off goes inside and takes the little girl's hand. In, in Aramaic, he says, Talitha koum." Stand up, little girl. Stand up, little girl. Life returns to her body. What in the world does that story have to do with this? Faith comes by hearing, right? You can't know something or believe in something unless you've heard of something. The synagogue ruler has studied the scriptures. But he's asking Jesus for a thing that hasn't happened in the whole Gospel of Matthew. You know what has not happened yet inside of this guy's life? The dead have not been raised. At this point in Jesus' life and ministry, nobody had been raised from the dead. And so here comes this man believing for a thing that he's never even experienced. Do you know why we clutch in our faith and worry and fear in our faith when a new situation comes up? Because we've never seen a situation like this. Do you remember when your kid went to school for the first time? Remember that? Remember that nervousness, parents? Did you feel the same way with the second kid? Did you feel the same way when they were a sophomore? Did you feel the same way when they were a junior? Or were you like so long so glad, right? Like, you didn't feel the same way. There was this fear. There was this doubt. There was this worry. There was this, what if they're going to get kidnapped by a helicopter and have to pay or whatever it is, you know? Crazy imagination. Like, all these things that run through your head. But then, as time goes on, like, you get used to that experience. Then there's another one. If you've never had any sort of medical situation, then, of course, this is big. But after you've had a few, you're like, hey, I'm just here. You know, whatever it is. Just do your thing. It doesn't matter. And you're okay. If it's a financial issue and you're like, you know what, I've seen God do bigger, I'm not worried. It's good. But then when there's another thing that shows up, you've never seen anything like it, that's when we panic. Oh, I've never seen the Lord do anything like this. What am I going to do? What's what's going to happen? And this man steps up to Jesus, takes his, his imagination, puts it away, and says, You can raise the dead. How do you know Jesus can raise the dead? He's either gonna raise the dead or this is gonna be the worst day of my life. Well, I'd rather believe he can raise the dead. Where are you at with your faith? Where do you clutch? Where do you where do you worry? Where do you doubt? Where do you fear? Have you got to that place to where you're like, I got that family member and they're never gonna to come to faith? I've got that brother and they're never gonna to come to faith. I've got that sister, I've got that daughter, that son. I've got that prodigal that's out there wondering they're never gonna- I've completely given up on my colleagues because. They're never going to come to faith. How about we ask God for something we've never seen? That's not off limits. If He's as big as He says He is, if He's as great as He says He is, if He's as holy as He says He is, then I'm going to stop limiting my prayers. I'm going big. I can't wait till He sees my Christmas list. I'm, I'm going big. This is the thing I want. This is the thing that I need. I got a friend and he needs Jesus. And Lord, I need you to show up in his life in a way that you've never shown up before. It needs to grab him. I don't know how. Lord, I need you to take care of this situation. He asked Jesus for a thing that nobody had seen. This had not been done since Elisha and Elijah in the Old Testament. Thousands of years ago. And this guy's holding on to this deal that maybe he can do it too. You know what's cool? Jesus is surrounded by disciples and people who are religious elite and they cannot seem to notice that this is the Messiah. But a synagogue ruler with a dead daughter can look at the situation and say, I don't have any other option. This has to be Him. So then there's this woman with this issue of blood. She comes up and she wants to know. She wants to touch Jesus. She thinks... This is going to be the difference maker. For 12 years? What have you wrestled with in your life for 12 years other than your children? (laughs) 12 years? You know what I love about this lady? Every doctor she saw was like, I don't know, sorry. I'll give you six months. I don't know. She's got no more money. She can go to no more doctors. She's ceremonially unclean. She can't go into the temple. She can't be around anybody holy. She's got to keep arms distance from everybody. And she says, you know what? Forget the old guard. Forget the old way of doing things. I know I'm not supposed to be around people. But you know what? I'm going to dare to believe that if I can get close to Jesus, he'll fix the situation. And she moves past the whole idea of she's unclean. (coughs) She never quits. Listen, I know this isn't everybody. I know this isn't everybody, but but let me talk to you about a thing that's, that's, that's real for many of us. I know when you look at her, you think to yourself, she's never going to be good. She's never going to be okay. She's never going to have the strength. She's never going to overcome. I know when you look at him and you think to yourself, he's never going to change. He's going to be the same guy all the time. I'm tired of dealing with this year after year after year after year. When you look at that kid and you think to yourself, they're not, they're not moving forward. 12 years, this woman dealt with this issue of blood that made her unclean. She couldn't be around anybody. She dared to never let go. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to find an answer. She hangs on. Whatever that deal is that you're wrestling with in your life and it's just beat beat you and beat you and beat you and beat you, let me tell you something. Don't quit. Don't quit. I don't care what it is. Don't quit. Stay in the game. But I'm tired of repenting for the same sin over and over. Isn't God tired of hearing from me? If I were God, I would be tired of hearing you. But I'm not. He wants to. Don't quit going to Him. Don't dismiss it and try to walk off. Your pain is an important part of your whole process. Your pain is important. There's a reason you've held on to it this long. There's a reason you've had to wait this long for healing. Don't quit. Here's what else I like. He gets to the house and he touches the little girl's hand. He tells her, Talitha kum, stand up, little girl, and she wakes up. <laughs> Thus, Jesus redefines our idea of death. Jesus says to him, she's just sleeping, and they're like, "You ma- are you kidding me? She's dead, dead, dead. We know she's dead. Which, can you imagine how terribly rude that was of the family to hear them say that, like, She's just asleep. No, we're pretty sure she's dead. Oh, sorry, Doris. I, I know, that was rude. But I felt her. She redefines what death is. You see, to the Lord, here it is. Death isn't the same anymore. The whole wedding changed everything. Why aren't we fasting? <laughs> Why are you mourning? What do you have to mourn? Death isn't the same. When Jesus shows up, He offers forgiveness of sins and He gives us the hope of resurrection. You don't find that in another religion. He gives us hope of resurrection. He extends His hand to us and says, I want you to be like me and your whole life be resurrected. I want to become something new inside of you. I want to take you to this other place. I want to fulfill God's whole plan inside of your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's His call on our life. Listen, if you don't know this Jesus, and you've been this friend of the faith, you've stood on the outskirts, you haven't committed, you haven't made this decision. Like I want to follow Jesus, but there's something there's something in there that draws you to Him. And come find me. Let's have a conversation. I want to sit down and talk with you. I want to know. I want to know why you don't make that step. Uh, I want to I want to help you walk through that through that process. I assure you. I assure you, it will be the greatest decision you will ever make. It will change your life. Completely. Change your life completely. Christians, followers of Jesus, if you're in a place to where your faith is starting to weaken, where you're starting to feel frail, it might be time to reach out and talk to somebody. It might be signs that maybe you're trying to wear that old coat, doesn't fit very good, it's a little breezy, it's got some holes in it, trying to patch it up. It might be time to toss that thing off. It might be time to get a brand new, fresh perspective. It might be time for new skins. It might be time for new wine, if you need something, if you need to talk to somebody, if you need to get your relationship with Jesus moving in the right direction, I wish you'd uh, I wish you'd come and visit with us. That would be it would be excellent. I appreciate you being here. Um,